2: The opinions
1: expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers. And do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.
3: Welcome to Webcology.
2: Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies.
4: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Webcology here on WebmasterRadio.fm. It's Thursday, October the 6th, and um, clearly it's a rather somber Edition of apology today. Um, yesterday, the greatest uh, innovator and inventor of um, of my lifetime, uh, likely yours as well, uh, past Steve Jobs, and well, we have um, the Webmaster Radio crew, uh, our engineers and producers, uh, Brasco and Lewis, and Dave Davies, to uh, you know, get together and talk a little bit about Steve Jobs, his legacy, his um, Philosophy, uh, how he changed our world, and uh, guys, that's just—I mean, there's not not a lot I can really say. Fifty-seven years old, way too young. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Well, who wants to jump in?
2: Well, you know me. I'm I'm always happy to jump in with a with an opinion on everything. But um, it's interesting because I'm I'm sitting at my desk looking at my iPhone. Um. Yeah. You know, re- reflecting back on, uh, you know, the the, the first computer um, I ever had the the opportunity, well I shouldn't say that. the first computer was a Vic Twenty, but let's go to real computers here um, was was sitting at my high school working on a Mac, um, and and sort of just reflecting back on on sort of the the, the massive impact and, and it's interesting because the, my first experiences on the on the Mac um, was really in the heyday of, of Mac being. Um, you know a, a quasi elitist sort of sort of club to be in but they they weren't faring well um from those versions of mac and then and then you know sitting on my desk is is the thing that um you know made made them made them great again um and, and put them on the on the forefront of of everything um and you know and, and made them you know more valuable than you know say massive uh governments <laughs> so um you know one can't even kind of debate the impact the man the man had it's funny i'm, I'm just looking on the telegraph.co.uk uk has like a you know a listing of, of his life um, as a whole and, and reading through it it's it's really quite interesting to hear you know some of the the issues that they had in the purchase of pixar and this right and it's just like the things that were almost accidental at one point and how how they ended up being you know well i mean you know, the the sale of pixar to disney was was what boosted jobs as, uh you know, at the time, um, made him a, a multi-billionaire, <laughs> and then um, yeah, just just the the influence in in areas that I didn't even really think about. Like when I think of his, his impact um, on the world, we we more think of you know, well, there was the invention of the Mac, and 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 you know, the the interface that we've all come to know. Uh, sorry, Bill, but you know, they had the interface before Windows um, and stuff like that, and and just these impacts that maybe they didn't get. I mean, We all know when they get the credit for, but um, you know, it, just watching through that hierarchy, and and then you know, and then Pixar, and then this, you know, it, and and what that did for for the movie industry, and just areas that I I don't stop and think about every now and then, but but had an opportunity okay, so to scroll through memory lane, and
4: yeah, so huge. many parts of your life have been touched and affected by this guy's vision, this guy's genius, and his obsessive control for quality.
0: Yeah, and, and
4: um, I'm not a I'm I'm not a big Apple product user myself, but you got to recognize the um, extraordinary products, uh, the Apple computers, Macintosh computers, um, Apple laptops. App, th- those things weigh like less than a pound, and they're phenomenal machines. Um, for me, the the thing about Steve Jobs, though, was the sheer audacity with which he lived his life. Um, the guy, cert- the man, certainly had a vision of himself and his place in the world he wanted to create around him.
2: Most certainly, and I mean, it's it's an interesting one because I was, I was looking through, and of course, there's tons of you know. Uh, collections of different Steve Jobs stuff. Anybody log into Facebook, you'll find some collections of Steve Jobs stuff. I don't care who you are. Um, but one of the more interesting one, and and, and thinking of, of what he managed to do, um, was was basically, and I'm going to poorly paraphrase, because I don't have the quote in front of me, um, but is is, don't design for what users tell you, because by the time you're done designing it, they'll want something new. Um, and then, you know, thinking of that, Of that kind of mentality um which which obviously he applied to to things and and basically that that idea of trying to see ahead and then create sort of reverse engineer the need before it even even exists right i'll give you this now it's something that you need to have you didn't know you needed it but you were probably going to want it in about a year so i might as well just toss it in now and then you know update based on on user experience and, and stuff like that so um a really really uh a great mentality to to put towards towards product development, and definitely clear. I mean, when I got my iPhone, I didn't know why I, I wanted it so much, but I'd seen people using it, and I kind of wanted it. And then it had all these buttons, and they were, had nothing to do with the stuff I wanted to do. Well, now I use almost all of them, right? Because it, it, you know, it, it was the convenience I didn't know I wanted. Um, you know,
4: David, and, and you mentioned you mentioned thinking and designing forward, and uh, interestingly, on, on on the line. We have David Satella. Many people, many Webmaster Radio listeners uh, know David Satella, as the host of PPC Rockstars. What they may or may not know is that David worked at Apple from 1987 to 1994. Um, While he was there, after Jobs left originally, he he had met the man a few times. He uh, certainly knows the early history of of Apple and the the culture there and um well with you know without talking about it much further David Satello welcome to webcology
3: Thank you Jim great to hear your voice and you too Dave
4: Well you know So jump jump yeah, right on to, in Dave you. um David what you, how were you affected by hearing about Steve Jobs death
3: Well um, with, with mixed feelings and, and uh, my comments will be uh, reflect those. Um, let me give you some background. I was in uh, grad school in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, when I got my Apple II. I actually uh, was a, a penniless grad, grad student, as, you know, and uh, I, I got a credit card in the mail from Amico, and I called all over the country to find an Amico dealer that would sell me an Apple II and charge it to my credit card. Yeah. So I got my Apple II. Yeah. And then I had to pay for it, so I sat on the doorstep of the uh, local Apple dealer until they hired me. And, uh, and then I, I started to become, well, I eventually became totally obsessed with it and decided to quit grad school six months before getting a Ph.D. in flavor chemistry so that I could get into the Apple industry. I actually interviewed with Apple, but I um, noticed right away that they were in complete chaos. This was 1978. and No, I'm sorry, 1981. And I ended up working for a magazine publisher that published a magazine about Apple II computers. And uh, that was a great experience. It was a startup. And eventually I got to work closely with Apple. um, And that led to my being hired by Apple. But that was the first time I met Steve Jobs. Um, We were called in, all of the uh, computer magazines were called in to kind of get a pre uh, look at the Macintosh in probably late '83. And I sat in a room with Steve Jobs and a bunch of magazine publishers, and uh, he showed us the 1984 video on this little tiny monitor, <laughs> and he oh, said, wow. uh, yeah, yeah, he said, uh, this, is a, this is a video that Shia Day created, and um, we the board has decided that it's too risky to show it because it's so bizarre and, and off the wall, so we're not going to show it, because we want you to see it. And, of course, it blew us away, and... Uh, and they blew the rest of the world away when they. I guess he decided so. This was the
4: just, just, just for listeners who, who might know. This was the extremely powerful Super Bowl commercial. Um, the uh, lone woman running through the crowd of black and white suits, throwing the anvil at the seat of power and unleashing the the, the Mac. Right,
3: right. And uh, you know, the, the, the video said so much about the company and the. And the, uh, as you put it Jim uh, the audacity of Steve Jobs and the company and uh, just a side note uh, years later when I was working for Apple at a uh, sales conference uh, John Scully showed that video but the, the uh, big brother figure on the screen was Bill Gates so okay so uh, 1987 I was recruited by Apple to run their evangelism department which is a uh, had been, uh, kind of running without a manager for several months after Guy Kawasaki left. And, uh, it was just wild. I mean, seven years of, of, of crazy fun. But one thing that was interesting to me was that I, I, I realized soon after I got there that this image of Apple as this warm, fuzzy, change the world, you know, we want to teach the world to sing kind of employees was a complete fabrication that was, <laughs> that was, uh, Made up by a brilliant guy named Regis McKenna, who was in charge of Apple's PR agency, and uh, he engineered this uh, brilliant out of the Macintosh, depicting the Macintosh team as this, you know, very cohesive. Uh, we sat in a room alone for, we sat in a building alone, the pirate building, for uh, many months, and we created this, uh, this computer that we knew, you know, was going to be a, the best in the world. And you know, a lot of that was true, but the, but the, uh, the uh, center of the uh, interactions was not true and that's where I'm going to come in with um, some some pictures of the Steve Jobs that a lot of people don't know
4: my next question um, okay. in I mean uh, Steve Jobs the 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 character that we know the general public how how close is that to the Steve Jobs that you worked for
3: well, first of all, I didn't work directly for him. He had left the company before I got there, um, but you know his impression was still very sharp. Uh, everybody that worked for me and everybody I worked around had uh, firsthand stories. And um, I, I just just before that the, you called, I looked up a uh, an old movie uh, that came out, I think in the '90s, mid '90s or so, called Pirates of Silicon Valley. Yeah. It was about Steve Jobs It was about Steve Jobs and his relationship with uh, Bill Gates. And uh, Noah Wiley played Steve Jobs and, you know, kind of this warm, fuzzy guy with, you know, casual jeans and T-shirt. And um, Anthony Michael Hall played uh, Bill Gates, uh, this kind of uh, Darth Vader of the computer industry figure. And it was really funny to watch because I'd actually gotten to know Bill Gates pretty well. Well, not pretty well, but I'd had meetings with him and spent time alone with him. And uh, the, the, the personalities were, like, opposite. Steve Jobs was the, you know, visionary, brilliant visionary. Can't take anything from him in, in the uh, public perception that, um, you know, he, he was monomaniacally driven to create great products, beautiful products, inside and out, and very demanding that everything uh, uh, have a, a look and feel and a fit that was, uh, you know, untouchable by any other company. Um, and, you know, he he, he inspired... Uh, people working for the company to, you know, put in long hours. <laughs> I remember a couple of things: there were, there were t-shirts. sorry, t-shirts and bumper stickers at Apple uh, before I got there that said "90 hours a week and loving it." That was the Macintosh team's uh, uh, mantra when they were working to create it. And there was another one, uh, another. Uh, so that that that's kind of the warm fuzzy side. The flip side is uh, one thing. One thing that Steve Jobs used to say. Uh, was the journey is the reward, which is, you know, as Jim, you and I have talked many times, you know, that's all about appreciating what you're doing rather than waiting for the big payoff. Mm-hmm. And uh, and some some of the members of the company made up T-shirts and bumper stickers and said, the journey is the journey, the reward is the reward. Give me my fucking bonus. <laughs> <laughs> so I, one other anecdote that tells you what it was really like inside, you know, it was cutthroat. It was like a big company... Uh, in, 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 the, in the Iron Age uh, You know, people trying to get each other fired I, People try to get me fired frequently um, Just just for, uh, you know, trying to, trying to advance their own careers um, the, One of the things I noticed shortly after getting there Was that uh, there was a green bar report You know, most of us are not mostly, Most of the listeners are not old enough to remember green bar reports But that was that computer paper that was wide And had alternating white and green stripes so on a cubicle outside of every department there was a green bar report and if you look closely at it it was names of employees along with number of days of untaken vacation time with the employees with the most untaken vacation time at the top and that was it, no explanation it was clear that no explanation was necessary it was like work your ass off uh, and, and you know you'll get the you'll get the uh, the benefits so anyway back to uh Um, Pirates of Silicon Valley, you know, the the, the portrayal uh, of of the two characters was nearly opposite their real personalities. You know, Steve Jobs was the person that would rage into someone's office and say, you suck, and what you're doing sucks, and you're fired. And Bill Gates was the one who, you know, had a stable family life, treated Microsoft like a family, had annual, um, you know, picnics and, and games, and eventually... Wound up uh, spending his time in a philanthropic organization. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that that's about it. You know, it's, it's, um, I, I can't take anything away from Steve Jobs and, and how it affected my life. I, I fell in love with Apple and its products long before I joined the company. And, you know, I drank the Kool Aid while I was in there and could, you know, spout the change the world mantra with conviction. But um, it wasn't all fun and games. And, you know, I guess, I guess, uh, uh, we can talk about whether you know, the the uh, tyrannical Steve Jobs was necessary in order to produce the great things that, that happened, but uh, I just think it's kind of interesting that his image and the company's image were uh, largely a brilliant, brilliant PR job by uh, Regis McKenna. Well,
4: now, I, I guess Tim okay. Cook is going to answer that question for us. Um, uh, I think the studio has a quick question yeah. for you,
2: Dave. David, I was going to ask now, you definitely have uh, kind of touched upon... How Steve
4: um, was, uh, how he was as a figurehead, and what you knew of him, and how he was uh, reflected in the Pirates of Silicon Valley movie, which is a great movie if nobody has ever watched it, to go pick it up. Now, I'm wondering if you had the chance to go ahead and interact or meet with
1: Steve after he returned to Apple in '97, and if you can give me an idea of how he might have changed in the time he left Apple, returned, because this is when, because when he comes back. This is the legacy that everybody's
4: going to remember and they're going to appreciate is all this amazing innovation he comes up with that he's responsible for with his team to what we have today, some of the legendary technology we have now today.
3: Sure. Well, let me answer with a couple anecdotes. One is um, shortly after he had left, I was uh, attending a conference for the Software Publishers Association. Uh, I was working for Apple in Europe, and I was on the European board And um, Steve Jobs made a presentation uh, trying to convince the software publishers in the audience to develop for the Next computer, because Next was the company that he founded after, Apple. And, man, did he turn off the audience. I mean, he basically said, look, this is the next greatest thing. Look at this beautiful architecture. Uh, You're stupid if you don't develop for it. Um, We're going to charge you money to develop for it. You know, it's basically uh, negative evangelism. So, you know, that was the Steve Jobs that uh, was, I, I, I think, um, a little bitter, wanted to get back at Apple, wanted to create a company that was going to stomp Apple. And uh, that was probably 1988 or 89. Uh, but to answer your question directly, you know, m- my outsider's view, because I didn't uh, interact much with Apple people, or obviously Steve Jobs after he came back to Apple, is that he came back as a... More mature, more professional manager. In other words, uh, you know, when he was when he was at Apple, he was he was he was a really young guy. I think he was still in his early thirties, or yeah, he must have still been in his early thirties. And uh, managing purely by instinct, didn't, didn't want to have anything to do with traditional business. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little to make the point, but I think that when he came back, he had had the experience of running Next and, and not doing that well with it, and then getting involved with Pixar and Disney and um, maybe learning uh, from his peers or or just through his experience what it takes to really run a company and really inspire employees and and be a little more consistent in in management style and practice. And I think that that uh, that, uh, resulted, obviously, in in probably one of the greatest comeback stories in high technology uh, industries because, um, let's see, when he came back, I'm trying to remember, I, I want to put a, put a plug in here for uh, my friend John Scully, because uh, Scully took over from, uh, Jobs hired Scully, um, and, you know, later was fired by the board after trying to oust Scully, and, um, you know, in, inside Apple, Scully, uh, by the engineering team, was viewed as kind of a technical lightweight and kind of wimpy and um, you know, they just didn't like him because he wasn't a, a technical heavyweight. This is, I'm speaking from the engineering side. Well, let's look at the, the, the numbers. Um, when the year before Scully joined, Apple was doing $750,000 in revenue. That's 750000 I mean, that's nothing. And when Scully left, and I was there when Scully left in, I think it was 1993, uh, the company did $8 billion that year. Um, so Scully deserves a lot of credit which he hardly ever gets for you know, basically building a real serious computer company and uh, you know, popularizing the Macintosh because basically um, even even by the time Steve Jobs left, the Macintosh was not a mainstream uh, computer and, and a technical phenomenon but now, having interestingly, said
4: that, I'm sorry, interestingly uh, Macintosh wasn't really in the mainstream until the development of the iPod, the iPad, the iPhone—that pushed Apple to the forefront of of, of computing. They, they'd been making technically superior computers for years, but absolutely. it was the introduction of the other products that made them a household name.
3: Yeah, I absolutely agree, and that, that's a very important point. Um, you know, basically, until the iPod started to pick up steam, and then and then the iPhone really um, took off. Um, the Macintosh market Macintosh market share of per, personal computing market was always in the low single digits, and uh, you're right. It was the uh, you know the popular popularization of the uh, the, the, the non Macintosh products that led a lot of people to say, Hey, this is an interesting company. Let's see if the products uh, you know we've been hearing that the Macintosh is easier to use and superior in some ways. Now I've got an iPhone in my hand. Wow, let's try the computer. So yeah, I think
2: I think there was a synergistic effect that led to you know huge market cap that Apple has now. Well, and was that I mean in your opinion, of course, um, was that part of their success? I mean, uh, there's there's many many factors here, but to be creating a product not just in relation to the sales of the actual computers as well, but to specialize in a in a, in a product that was effectively. Disposable. Like mo- most people, you, know, you and I, and, and probably most of our listeners, whip through computers. You know, every every couple of years, I go through computers more than I go through phones. But most people don't. And was that part of, of what's really launched them out? Not just the cross platform. Hey, I can see this this Apple experience. Let's see if that works on a on a PC. But to have a a fairly expensive product that people are going to be replacing once every twelve to eighteen months, as opposed to once every five, six years, um, as would happen in in the competition with PCs.
3: Yeah, I I agree. That was uh, certainly uh, one of the important factors in Apple's kind of snowball effect. And uh, just a small plug, uh, I've got a presentation uh, that I'm giving at PubCon in November that I've given at several conferences over the past uh, eight months that talks about how the computer industry is changing and how the pace of change is accelerating, technically is accelerating, that leads to this kind of you know the thing I have in my hand is going to be outmoded in two months, uh, you know frame of mind. And uh, I also relate all these technological changes back to search marketing and what search marketers should be aware of and, and uh, watch for it and be ready to change for.
4: Well, I mean, again, I guess you know what change is the best single word for the legacy of Steve Jobs. Um, Every product he worked on, from the original computer, the original home computer, to um, the latest release of iPhone 5, has somehow managed to disrupt and change the way we lead our lives. This is a guy who, is, as you mentioned earlier, Dave, um, changed the music in- or changed the movie industry through Pixar. He's totally changed the music industry through iTunes. He's even, he's even changed the way that you know we. At Webmaster Radio and other podcasters distribute our content through the iTunes sure, sure. through iTunes Radio. Um, that rapidity, I would, you know, even go as far as to say um, it was the iPhone that was the catalyst for the mobile the mobile revolution, mobile marketing revolution, which we all knew was coming. We just didn't know when and how. You know, remember how every year was going to be the year of the mobile then the iPhone came out and boom, suddenly it was the year of the mobile. Um, well,
3: as, as I Well, as I said in my presentation, it wasn't the iPhone. Uh, the, there, I, I point out two inflection points. One was, uh, it wasn't the it was, the... it was the mouse and the point and click user interface that caused this, this uh, you know, this tipping point of people suddenly becoming uh, aware that they could use personal computing devices. The next tipping point was not... Per se, the iPhone. It was the point and touch and mani- manipulate with your finger interface, which a lot of people find much more approachable than the mouse and the uh, and, and the pointer on the screen. As anyone who's on a teach their mother, right? So, uh, ironically, when the iPad came out, uh, one of the first things I said uh, publicly was, "The iPad will be the Macintosh of cat. In other words, eventually. Uh, the user interface will be copied, and uh, uh, and, and a standard, non-proprietary uh, instantiation of that user interface will sell many more uh, hardware devices than Apple will sell. And I think I read recently, although I see conflicting data, that the number of Android devices, which are you know, which is the open platform that uh, mimics or has copied the the iPhone uh, user interface and the iPad user interface, the Android uh, devices, hardware, you count the number of hardware devices, phones, and pads, the number of Android devices are now outselling the iPad and the
4: iPhone itself. Ain't that always the way. The pioneers pioneers have the roughest time. Um, David, uh, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it at that. We're stuck with the tyranny of time. But um, thank you so much for for joining us to talk about Steve Jobs and Apple me. and the early days there. And um, looking forward to seeing you next time I see you.
3: Same here. Um, you know, it feels a little weird to be talking with you without uh, without an alcoholic beverage in front of us. So we'll
4: <laughs> soon enough, my friend. Soon enough, uh, Chicago, November. Okay, I'll be there. Brilliant. Uh, that was David Satella, uh, host of PPC Rockstars, and uh, again, one of the, uh, somebody who, who worked in Apple in the, in the earliest days. Um, we've got to take a break here on Webcology. We've gone on a little bit longer than studios comfortable without taking a break, so we'll be coming back with Aaron Aders, um founder and CEO of Slingshot SEO. But first, uh, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and Dave Davies from Beanstalk SEO. Listen to Webcology on webmasterradio.fm. We'll be back after these messages sit tight and don't move webcology we'll be back after this short break
2: from the creators of we build pages experience the power of the internet marketing ninja an exclusively trained army of nearly 100 in-house ninjas mastered in the arts of social media, local marketing, content creation, SEO reporting, and yes, link building. The Internet Marketing Ninjas will release a new version of their legendary tools to the public. Visit the Internet Marketing Ninjas booth at PubCon 2011 Vegas or visit imninjas.com. The ninjas
1: are coming.
0: As you know, being an expert at f**k...
1: What did she say?
0: ...requires lots of practice and a great tool. Think you could use some help with f**k? Whoa! You're not alone. Hundreds have used our tool to take their f**k performance to the next level.
2: The language!
0: Of course, we're talking about managing Facebook ads on Quizio.
2: Oh...
0: Buy, track, manage, optimize, and report on media across all major ad networks. Visit Aquizio.com to get a demo today. Aquizio. search, social, display, one platform. Just getting
3: your feet wet on the internet? Then dive into our stream. Webmasterradio.fm. We're the coolest place around. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. off.
2: Now back to Webcology, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. You're the host, Jim Hedger and Dave Hey,
4: everyone. Welcome back to Webcology here on WebmasterRadio.fm. Uh, you know what? Let's get some energy happening. Let's talk about something smart. Let's do something good for our listeners and change the world. That's the way Steve Jobs would have wanted it. On uh, on the line we have Aaron Aders, um, founder and CEO of Slingshot SEO. Aaron, welcome. Hey, how's it going, Well, thanks for joining us. Um, you know, let's let's geek out. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk Google. Um, you have a report coming out on uh, click through rates at Google, um, and I know that you were poking around in Google Analytics today and getting a giggle about some of the stuff you saw. Um, first off. Tell us a little bit about
1: yourself and about Slingshot SEO. Yeah, so I am a co-founder at Slingshot SEO. We're going to turn five this December. And uh, really the company started in high school with myself and the two founders doing some kind of PPC stuff back in the day on Yahoo. And then Google came out and just uh, pretty much shocked the world of SEO back then. And uh, unfortunately the bubble burst in 1999 kind of turned us away from the whole internet thing—they said it was a joke—and now it's kind of coming full <laughs> circle. And seeing people actually uh, generate revenue and find value in the internet and search in general, so uh, really happy that 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 turn came around. And you know, just trying to stay ahead of the curve and uh, geek out on a daily basis around here.
4: Well, um, you know, we've been from a, from an SEO perspective, at any rate, we've been. Dealing with curves and curve balls for oh I don't know the last year, especially since the um, initial release of the Panda update. Um, where do you see the curve today?
1: Well, I think it's you know about the Panda update, which I think was a, a great thing for SEO. It's about quality content and true thought leadership, not algorithmically created topics and articles being pushed out by. The thousands and hundreds of thousands. In fact, uh, somebody, for, one of the video editors from one of those companies, was interviewed. He made over thirty thousand videos, and they said well, they asked him, uh, "Can you talk about one?" And you know, he couldn't even remember one of them. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, he said, "Honestly, I can't tell you, but I've done 30,000. So you know, it's it's getting away from that and getting towards true thought leadership. So uh, brands going out there and you know, doing what Apple did and what Steve Jobs is excellent at, which was turning your brand into a movement and providing thought leadership, getting people engaged and making the world a better better place. And, you know, that's what I think what the Panda update was all about was um, trying to filter out the content on the Internet that wasn't making the Internet a better place, that was coming up for how do I change my uh, Mazda RX tire and, you know, you're getting uh, – steps that are not going to get you there and, and get you what you want and, and rather pushing up content that will actually help you so uh, i think that you know going forward it's it's quality content
4: did uh, did panda cause uh, you and your partner to change your practice
1: not really uh because you know all of our content we we're pushing out was not uh spun or mechanically generated i mean we've got um i think we're Somewhere around thirty authors on staff. We have a um, editor in chief on staff here at SlingShot that is uh, kind of uh, pushing out that, making sure that our, our content is valuable and that you know we're we're adding something to the internet, making it a better place. So we took that very seriously from the start. And you know, Google, uh, Panda's uh, pen, the Panda update was all about you know filtering out that. Uh, shallow content, as they called it. So, uh, we were always focused on putting really dense, you know, value add content out there. So, we didn't see uh, a big, a big change there. You
4: know, back in the day, uh, SEOs used to have this um, relationship with Google that was kind of like Tom and Jerry, where you know the SEOs would actually hang out in uh, forums and chat rooms with uh, people who were, you know, obviously Google employees, such as you know Google guy, and you know, actually exchange and receive information. Um, then Google started developing um, this whole array of tools: uh, Google Analytics, after they 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 purchase um, Ur- Urchin? Urchin, whichever, um, and Google Webmaster Tools. And that sort of conversation, direct conversation with Google employees, seem to die out. Now we're you know we're, we're relying on Webmaster Tools for information or Google Analytics, and um, I can get kind of silly sometimes. Now. You were poking around in Google Analytics in the last few days, uh, checking out the release of SEO segmentation.
1: What's your impression? Well, it was a little bit of a disappointment in the beginning since all the data from that SEO or search engine optimization segmentation that's, um, I think, under traffic sources was really coming from PPC. It's all PPC data, so (laughs) kind of a, a little disappointment there. It wasn't organic data that they were segmenting, but, I mean... It really doesn't matter, you know. Analytics, Google Analytics. If if you know how to segment things right, it's just really a giant SEO tool anyway. So, uh, n- you know, nothing really lost there. Just wasn't what I I I thought the title put it out to be anyway.
4: How useful do you find the information you're getting out of it? i um, you're I mean,
1: at least it provides a baseline, right? Eh? Well, I mean, out of PPC can definitely give you some insights on where you need to put your focus in organic search. Uh, but analytics in general, you know, it's, it's really about seeing how effective you are in communicating with your target audience. And, you know, on the new keywords that, that you're putting out, that you're, you're targeting, you know, are they converting? Are they bouncing? What You know, are, are these valuable keywords? Are we getting the ROI that we're, uh, the, the return out of, of the traffic that we're, uh, putting all our efforts into for this keyword so analytics is absolutely crucial tool to measuring your seo campaign and adding intelligence to it on the next iteration of uh, the way you implement your seo campaign
2: now we had a chance uh to meet at digital world expo we had a chance to share a stage at digital world expo um when i was chatting with you we had touched on a, a couple studies one that uh, slingshot head put out already. One that is upcoming, same basic study, different engine. Um, why don't you get into and, and then we can can get into some questions. But why don't you summarize the study that's been out already, so that you can you can sort of chat freely about what was it um, and and what does it mean?
1: Absolutely. And our second study was really an expansion of the first, which we wanted a solid measurement of click-through rates for the top ten positions on Google since. The, the last study that came out of that AOL data leak was pretty old. I think that was 2007, 2008, something like that. So, you know, the, the the challenge there is data. And unless you are a search engine or a SEO company with a lot of clients and keywords you're targeting, it's really tough to get that. But locally, we had that data. Uh, we looked at the – we analyzed user behavior of about 170,000 visitors over – 324 high-traffic keywords. And so we took this data and looked at what Google says is the search traffic, applied that to the positions that our clients were for each one of these keywords, and and then came up with a statistically significant result of, on Google, number one position, getting 18.2% on average, that dropping very quickly to 10% on position two. So this was just all about more of a forward looking goal of you know if i want to go after this keyword is it is it possible for me to take out the first two positions and, and can i p- provide a better offer can i can, is that a realistic goal and if it's not you know what what kind of traffic can i expect from maybe position 3 or 4 and then does that make sense with the kind of effort that i would have to put towards it so it's it's more about forward looking and seeing if something's worth going going after so we we also want to look at bing And so that study is coming out next week on a major search engine optimization blog. That's about as far as I go about that right now. But uh, it's going to come out and it's going to look at Bing. And just some preliminary preliminary data out of that was we saw much lower click-through rates across all positions. And I don't know exactly why that is. Maybe our R&D team uh, took a stab at that or uh, looked at that in more detail in the paper. I would guess it's Probably people doing more searches to uh, performing more searches to actually click on a result that they find useful. So that could take it down. Um, also, what could take down organic click throughs is people clicking on ads. But looking at <laughs> Bing's revenue and the loss of a billion last year, I got to uh, at least assume that it's probably not people clicking on. So um, hopefully we can get to the bottom of that. Uh, I'm not, I haven't seen the study yet. Again, it's going to be released next week. So uh, that should be real interesting. Bing click-through rates and the Google click-through rate study is already out there and you can go to slingshotseo.com and download that and uh, get some more uh, intelligence whenever you're choosing which keywords you want to target in the future.
4: Aaron, we're going to have to take a break for a few minutes. so hope can stick around. Um, we're definitely going to be asking you about click-through rates at Google. Um, but, uh, friends, we got to pay some bills here at WebmasterRadio.fm. So on behalf of Dave Davis from Talk SEO, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. You're listening to Webcology on Webmaster Radio. Stay tuned. Back with Aaron Aders after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. will be back after this short break.
2: Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's e-brands with a Z
3: for
1: eBrands. Blog, blog,
3: blog. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're the talk of the town. WebmasterRadio.fm. Thanks for listening. WebmasterRadio.fm.
2: We're everywhere. Marshall's off. Now back to Webcology, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here are the host, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Well, welcome back. This is Dave Davies uh, here with Jim Hedger, and we are joined by Aaron Aiders from Slingshot SEO. Aaron, I wanted to follow up with a with a question here, just about the about the methodology um, when you were dealing with uh, with Google. Well, let's talk about the Google click through rate um, study that you had been doing. When you're pulling this data in, I mean, we all are familiar with the idea of um, adjusting your titles to uh, to improve click-through rates. Were these generally sites that, I mean, obviously they were sites you guys were, were had access to, were they ones that had been optimized for click-through rates, i.e., might the, was the study maybe skewed by by improved click-through rates because you you sort of tweaked those? Or, or was it a fairly, you know, over a massive number of phrases, wax of pages in there that didn't have optimized for click-through titles and, and that we could look at this data as fairly, uh, yeah. you know, applicable?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. You know, I mean, of the 324 keywords, they were all very high-traffic uh, a, a lot of competition around those keywords and yes our clients definitely were optimized for search engines and click throughs and user click throughs so uh, just the, the nature of the the competition there uh, i would have to assume that the the level was pretty high and probably most if not all of the uh, the competitors that we were measuring against were probably taking the same tact of making sure that their click throughs uh, were, were proper their, their title tags were proper for click through rates as well as SEO targets but you know that's a great question that would be something to definitely look into
2: now which, which leads me to, uh, to a sort of follow up and I, I don't know if our listeners would uh, everybody would be interested in this one you know what numbers are clicking on the top 10 how many people are, or what percentage are never clicking on a result there at all and are, are going back to, to performing uh, second third searches
1: about half. Uh, we're finding that it's it's almost, I think it's almost an average of two searches for every, over any organic click on the first or second or third page. Users typically refine their search at least once.
2: So, would you say, and I don't know how you're, you know, the, the exact phrasing sequences that you've been using and stuff like that, um, have you, or, or are you thinking of perhaps doing a study that compares? Um, you know, the more generic and then comparing that with the click through rates of, um, you know, sort of when they follow that up, you know, if they go back and do another search, rather, you know, don't click on anything, do a more specific search, adjust their query there. Now, now what's the click through rate on something that might be a little more, you know, they looked up ink cartridges, they clicked on nothing, they added Epson to the um, to it now all of a sudden they 're clicking away um, any idea on the on the long tail or what you would find there on those click through rates from from the data you do have
1: well, that would be incredible knowledge to gather unfortunately, you know from what the data you get in Google analytics you're really kind of on a last touch you know you don 't know exactly what another user searched on Google before you mm-hmm. they clicked on your uh, your link and the search results that would be excellent to get that data but again that's you kind of have to be a search engine to know where that's going. And, and you can guarantee Google is looking at that.
4: <laughs> well, I guess, uh, are, you, are you able to extrapolate, extrapolate any intelligence? Um, you say that it, the average user is refining uh, his or her search story or search query. Um, why are they doing that? How are they okay, doing so, that?
1: Okay, so so the way we came up with that is when we would look at, so if you'll notice in our search study, <laughs> uh, let's see here, 18% plus 10% plus, the long tail down it doesn't add up to a hundred percent, and the reason for that uh, that that we have to assume would be people doing more than one search if Google says you know a thousand people uh, search this in any keyword phrase and and you're holding position one and you're only getting you know five or ten or a very small portion of that and then you measure it out i mean it's just it just doesn't add up to a thousand right and you know they could be giving you some data that wasn't that accurate. I'm sure that's the case in, in some areas, but if you took their estimate, their traffic estimates as, as true, those are the numbers that we came up with in our sample set.
4: When you're working with clients, is Google Analytics
1: enough for you? Do you need more data? Well, Google Analytics is going to tell you exactly how people behave on your website, which is extremely important data. Uh, there are other companies that... That looking at that, Experian owns one, and I don't remember the name of it. And unfortunately, they won't sell seats to any SEO companies, <laughs> but uh, which is interesting. But you know, demographic data, I think that's going to give you some intelligence uh, what's happening off your site. And from what I understand from some of our clients that have seen this, it's it's pretty accurate when they went in there and they they gave intelligence um, like type in the keyword for example and at position one you'll get this and when they were holding that number one position they were getting about that traffic which is kind of freaky that they knew that but uh, there are companies out there gathering this data and unfortunately um, I can't remember the name of the one I'm thinking of I know Experian owns them but they wouldn't sell any seats to SEOs so (laughs) alas all we have to work with uh, or the best we have to work with anyway is Google Analytics but you know you can look at SpyFu and other tools like that to kind of get some estimates but each one of them, depending on where you're looking, I mean, are off by entire orders of magnitude. So again, it's kind of um, bad data is bad data, and you know, you know, with with those those kinds of differences, you really don't know who to believe. <laughs>
2: Now, when I don't know if you had uh, had the opportunity, based on you know who you were or the sites and, and phrases you were polling, um, to see you know if you had multiple sites that you were able to to take a look at their click through rates for the for the same query. But did you guys get any feel on how many people are searching multiple listings as opposed to to going back? So how much of that search volume data? Um, might get skewed with people clicking on a result and then running that same query again to Google and then clicking on another result. Um, now, that may not have been available in your data set simply because you may not have had competing sites for the same query, but did you guys have any any insight into that?
1: Well, I think the best insight you could get for that data piece is probably looking at the bounces that, ha- that occur through different keywords. So if for example, um, keyword A, your bounce rate was 50%, then I would safely assume that if someone came to my site through a search and they bounced off the front page they prob- if they, and they didn't call me, they probably went back and clicked on another listing or refined their search. Uh, that's how Google uses that metric and that's you know how, how we use that metric. You know, are we speaking to the right audience here? Are we targeting the right keywords? If we have a bounce rate off the charts, then probably not. So, uh, yeah, again, you find the study. Uh, the Google study is on the Slingshot SEO website. The Bing study will be up there uh, next week, and we're going to push that initially through a uh, very popular search engine optimization blog out there. Can't really switch one, but uh, just pay attention. You guys will find it, I'm sure. And uh, that's uh, the first one that I know of uh, on Bing click-through rates.
2: Now, where uh, I, I guess, can you tell us the day that we would look for for the big one? Maybe then we'll uh, know when to when to do it, or is it just if we looked on Friday, we'll know what's uh, we'll know what's in there?
1: It's gonna yeah,
0: be so either, there, right?
1: it, it ought to definitely be there by Friday. But again, since we're we're releasing this, uh, the first the initial release is going to be through a third party. We're somewhat at their mercy. We were going to push it out tomorrow, but um, I guess. Things just didn't work out with that and uh, it's going to go out next week. So uh, just keep tuned there. But at slingshotseo.com, we're probably going to release it the, the same day or the day after.
0: Um,
1: so you, you can find it there for sure. Okay, Aaron, we're brushing up against the last uh,
4: two minutes of the show. Um, if you had to give advice to, to newer SEOs, anyone just getting into the field, what's, uh, you, what should they be looking at uh, coming up for 2012?
1: Well, in a, a very broad sense, I think you've really got to look at Google as a platform. And to, if you want to learn more about platform plays, there's a really great book called The Keystone Advantage, uh, written by Marco Ansicci, I think is the way you say that. Um, anyway, The Keystone Advantage just talks about what it means to be a platform. For example, Microsoft is a platform. Even Walmart's a platform. And they go back. You know, three thousand, probably three hundred years ago, I think it was um, this Italian clothing maker. It was they were kind of a platform for people making clothes in the trade. And it's funny because the the underlying strategies, when when working as a platform and serving a platform, really haven't changed. And so when the the nice thing about that is that if you work with a platform as a user, um, you make each other better. So. I I contribute by making Google better and as an SEO you do that by providing thought leadership on behalf of your clients putting great content out there and promoting it in the right places and adding value to the internet and that's going to add value to Google and the flip side happens exactly the same way Google um, becomes tied to the SEO community or at least the, the, uh, the SEO community that's serving them as a platform and they make us more successful because of that so I think that you've You've really got a. It's not a necessarily a Tom and Jerry game um, in the sense of kind of maybe what, how it was back in the '90s. But um, if you're if you're black hat SEO or, do, or adding spam to in the internet, absolutely, you know they're going to be they're going to come after you. That's a short term play. Don't get into that stuff. It, uh, if you want to, you know, long term play, solid SEO is again thought leadership, great content, and serving that platform. And they're going to return the same to you. And now there's a reason that. Google has a Matt cuts, you know, kind of the um, ambassador to the SEO industry and, and they wouldn't do that if they didn't find value in the SEO industry. So uh, that's just kind of in a broad sense a way to think of it and for young guys starting an SEO company or, or starting an SEO for the first time, just keep that in mind, uh, keep trying to make the internet a better place, categorizing your clients sites uh, in the right manner and uh, there, there's going to be a long term play for you in the end.
4: Well, Aaron you know what you're I gotta I just gotta say this I really appreciate the kind of guy you are I think there's a long- term play in it for you too you're talking about improving Google you're sharing your data you're helping the rest of the community you're improving SEO and I gotta thank you for being on
1: web College today yeah yeah thanks for having me guys uh, I, I love the show definitely glad to be here and uh, share my thoughts well um, scrolling way up in my notes here um Aaron
4: Aders uh, sling, uh founder, co-founder of uh, Slingshot SEO again thank you so much for being on friends it's been a uh it's been a weird episode um we had a totally different plan we were going to be talking about Facebook this week but you know the news from last night anyway thank you for joining us uh, Dave and I will be back again next week with another fun show um Dave any last words
2: no you know what if I do it the booth is going to
4: kill me so I'll just let him yeah. take us out on behalf of Dave Davies from Beanstalk SEO, this is Jim Hedger from Web from <laughs> Digital Always Media. You've been listening to WebCology here on Webmaster We have SEM Synergy coming up next, friends. Stay tuned.